morning. Good morning, everyone at home, online. Good morning to our friends at Farmington Hills. Hope that everyone is doing well today and is having a good summer, enjoying life under the sun. Today, we continue our series through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to hear more from Solomon. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, give your word to your people. They need you. You know what they need. Open up their hearts to hear from you. Apart from you and your spirit at work up here, Father, I'm just a man talking, and we need more than that. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On today's episode of Solomon's Court, two mothers enter into the courtroom, both claiming to be the mother of this one little child. Mother A walks into the courtroom with the baby and she says, this is my baby, your honor. Then Mother B walks into the courtroom and says, no, that is not her baby. She stole my baby from me in the middle of the night. That's my baby. And so they get into a dispute over the custody of this child. Who is the mother of the child? Is it Mother A or is it Mother B? King Solomon has a decision to make. He has to rule on this matter. So he thinks to himself, hmm, I know what I'm going to do. He says, give me the baby and give me a sword. I'm going to cut the baby in half and mother A, you get one half of the baby and mother B, you get the other half of the baby and mother B says, no, 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 stop, don't do that, don't do that. Let her have them, let her have them. And mother A says, it doesn't matter. Neither one of us has to have them. And with that, Solomon rules, Mother B is the true mother of this child. She actually is the one who loves and cares about this child. Solomon was a man of great wisdom. And on that particular day, in, in, in that particular ruling, Israel was astonished by the wisdom of Solomon, how he was able to handle such matters with the wisdom of God. When Solomon was a younger man, God asked him, what do you want me to do for you? If I, what do you want? Ask for anything. You can have anything. What do you want, young Solomon? And Solomon said, God, I want wisdom. I want to be able to discern. I want to be able to understand. Solomon loved Lady Wisdom. In the Old Testament, wisdom is often personified as a woman, a woman to be pursued, a woman to be understood and kept by your side. And Solomon loved Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom shows up all over the world. She shows up in political presidential, presidential cabinets. She shows up on the thrones of kings. She shows up in the household of new parents, helping them navigate parenthood. She's always there, and when we listen to her, it goes well for us, but when we ignore Lady Wisdom, it doesn't go too well for us. 
I want to give us a working definition of this word wisdom. In the scriptures, the word wisdom is kokmai. It's, it's the knowledge and the ability to make the right choices at the opportune time. We just saw that with Solomon. The consistency of making the right choice is an indication of one's spiritual maturity. So this is wisdom. It's the ability to make the right choices at the opportune time. It is knowledge and understanding and action. But the thing about wisdom, it has a broader application to, to more than just spiritual things. There's a more general definition of wisdom that means skillful living. And so we can be wise in various areas of life. You can be a wise financial steward. You can be wise in how you go about your parenting. You can be skillful in athletics. And so that word wisdom has a broader definition. And as a matter of fact, wisdom can sometimes be used for good, but wisdom can also be used for evil. We can be skillful at ungodly things. It's possible, it's possible to be skillful at telling lies. A person can be skillful at hacking into your computer and emptying your bank account. But also a person can be skillful at protecting you from someone hacking into your computer. This idea of general wisdom is just skillful living. And as a matter of fact, Satan, the adversary of our souls, is described as being very skillful, very crafty, very wise, dare I say. And it was wisdom that Satan first tempted humanity with. The first thing that Satan tempted the people of God with was wisdom. This idea of being able to have a skillful life, to be able to accomplish things and do things apart from God. We see this in the Garden of Eden. This is the appeal of wisdom without God. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the, of the, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, hear this, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Eve wasn't just hungry. She didn't miss lunch that day and was just desperate to eat the fruit. No, Eve had a longing for understanding and a longing for wisdom. And she thought in that forbidden fruit was something that she was missing. She thought that there was some information that she was missing out on that God was holding back on her. And if somehow she could gain this wisdom and understanding, she could find herself free from this God who was obviously holding out on her. Satan said, if you eat this forbidden fruit, you'll become more like God. There's an appeal to wisdom apart from God. Why do we take the bite? Why do we take the fruit? Why do we go after wisdom apart from God? Here, here are a few reasons. Number one, we, we, we believe that wisdom apart from God can offer some kind of independence. If I just know enough, I can, I can get along in life by myself. If I understand the way things work enough, I can make things happen by myself. There's a part of us 
that get tired of holding daddy's hand and we want to run off by ourselves and explore life and do life on our own without the restraints. And so if we understand life well enough, we, we're not so dependent upon God. And if we know enough, we're not as dependent upon people. Another reason that wisdom can be so appealing to our flesh, another reason that we chase after wisdom apart from God is power. We, we've all heard the phrase, knowledge is power. We, we've all heard that. And the only thing that we like more than being right is being more right than someone else. And the only thing that we like more than knowing is knowing more than someone else. Knowledge can puff up. Knowledge can make us feel strong. And maybe uh, there's a, a desire for acceptance as well. If I know a certain thing, I can get into a certain in crowd. There's an appeal to wisdom apart from God. And humanity has gone after it forever. That's the first thing that led us into the fall was this desire for wisdom. And so Solomon in his life, he pursued wisdom apart from God. God had given him the gift of wisdom, which is a great gift. We saw it exercised earlier in the courtroom. God had given Solomon the gift of wisdom, but Solomon fell in love with the gift and left the giver behind, and he went after a very intense pursuit of wisdom. Let's look at his story some more. This is King Solomon. He says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Solomon gets to work. He gets to work studying and understanding everything. He studies all kind of stuff. He goes on a huge pursuit for knowledge. This is before Google. This is before Wikipedia, Chatbox, GPT, and all of those things. This is before all of that. And he applied himself to great rigorous study of science and history and ethics and all kinds of li literature and different religious studies because he wanted to understand the meaning of life. And he even wanted to use this wisdom to help him better rule in his kingdom, but he kept coming up empty. All of that studying, all of that reading, and it didn't work. I want you to picture Solomon hovering over a bunch of books, and he's banging his hand on the table because he's learning so much, and it just doesn't work. He still can't crack the code. He still can't discern the meaning of life. Life is still falling. Life is still broken. All of this, all of this stuff that he is learning is not satisfying his soul. And he comes up empty with all of this studying and all of this learning. And this is what he understands. He understands that earthly knowledge is not insignificant. It's just incomplete. Earthly knowledge is not insignificant. It's just incomplete. I don't want anyone to hear this message and say, well, are you telling me that Christianity is that type of belief system where I have to leave my brain behind? I'm a, I'm a learning person. I want to understand things. I want to understand life. Is, is Christianity telling me to leave my brain behind, to leave my understanding behind? No, no, no. It's not telling us to do that. God wants to, us to engage in learning and understanding, but earthly knowledge 
is, is not insignificant. It's just incomplete. I can speak for myself. I, I love to learn. I have a high value of education. I'm one of those people, I think, that keep the bookstores open. I, 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 love, I love to read. Even in my upbringing, I was a first-generation college student, meaning I was the first person in my, my sphere of influence in my family to go to college. And I, and I remember growing up, my dad putting a huge emphasis on education in college because he didn't have the opportunity to graduate from college. So I remember all of those talks of, son, I didn't do it, but you will. I didn't do it, but you will. And I was like, yes, sir. And so that was something that we valued a ton in, in, in our household. But even with, with, with learning that can open doors and things like that, earthly knowledge can only accomplish so much. And that's what Solomon is running into. And it is breaking him. It is crushing him that he, the most learned man of all time, can't figure it out. It's so frustrating. Let's, let's continue. He says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. He says, I have seen all the things done under the sun. We talked about this last week. The word under the sun is his perspective. He zoomed in on earthly things from an earthly perspective. He's reading and understanding all of the stuff in the world. And not everyone had the resources to pull this off, but Solomon had the economic resources that he could actually pull a library together and study from the great scholars of his day and understand the world. And he's saying, I have done it, I have seen it, and all of this, once again, is meaningless. The word meaningless, we, we said it last week, the word meaningless means a vapor. It is it's empty. He says, it is a chasing after the wind. Have you ever tried to chase something that you couldn't catch? Boy, is it frustrating. Like a little puppy that just keeps getting away from you and you can't, you can't catch the thing. Or, or a child that's running away from you and you can't catch it. Have you ever tried to do that? How, how, you know how frustrating that is that after all of that running and after all of that chasing, that that thing gets away? <laughs> that the puppy just gets away and you can't find him, you can't catch him? That's what Solomon is experiencing. He's chasing, he's running all over the place, all over the world, trying to figure it out, trying to understand it, and it keeps evading him. This, this meaning from life that he's chasing keeps evading him. He says it's like chasing after the wind. He has a longing for something deeper. We have a longing for something deeper. Our hearts have a longing for our Father, a deep longing, and that's why we chase, and that's why we pursue, because we're searching for something that only God can provide. It's like this. What our, what our hands reach for is not always the substance that our hearts long for. What our hands reach for it's not always the substance that our hearts long for. Our hearts long for the love of God, and our hands reach for love in all the wrong places. Our hearts long for meaning and understanding from God, and our hands reach for meaning and understanding 
in all kinds of other things, in all kinds of other places of study and books and scholars and philosophers. Our hearts long for so much. Our hearts long for deep things. But our hands can oftentimes reach for very shallow things. We can have very deep longings and very shallow reaches. And this leaves us very unsatisfied. And we reach after thing after thing. And in this case right here, Solomon is reaching after books and study and understanding of the world. And it's not satisfy him because we were made for a deep intimacy, for a deep knowledge, for a deep understanding that comes from knowing our Father in heaven. And Solomon is missing it once again because he's reaching in all these various different directions. He's searching the world for it and still can't find it. Let's continue on his, his journey. In Ecclesiastes 1.15, it says, What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. This is another observation that Solomon is making. He's saying what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, some things will never change. In all of his search, he's, he's come to this conclusion that there are some things in this world that are crooked and broken that will never change. That's a tough thought. That's a tough pill to swallow, that some things will never change. And we, we work so hard to, hard to try to make crooked things straight, to make a crooked world straight, then to come to conc- the conclusion that that might never change. That's a tough pill to swallow, especially for a person like Solomon who was trying to rule well and lead well and lead Israel to a good place. He, he's coming up against very difficult opposition. Some things will never change or appear to never change. I just think of the, the classroom teacher who is working with her students and she's realizing that no matter how much I pour into these students and try to teach and educate these students, they're going to go home to an environment that's not going to reinforce what I'm teaching them. Can you imagine the frustration to spend all of that time getting educated? I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to educate students. I'm going to change lives. But I get this much time with them knowing that they're going to go home and everything that I just taught them is going to, going to unravel. That can be frustrating. That's the kind of frustration that, that King Solomon is experiencing. And he's, he's realizing this, that earthly wisdom and knowledge are limited and their ability to remedy a world broken by sin and death. This this isn't to say that we give up. That's not what Christ followers do. This isn't to say that we tap out. This isn't to say that we stop trying. This isn't to say that we stop trying trying to uh, end human sex trafficking in our lifetime. We keep fighting for that while realizing that there's so much brokenness, so much crookedness, in this world that ultimately man, us, we, we, we can't resolve it all, but one day King Jesus will. We're limited in what we can accomplish, and our wisdom is, is limited in what it can accomplish. Even Solomon, 
the wisest man to ever live was limited in what he could know and do on this earth. I told you Solomon can be heavy. Solomon can be, Solomon can be tough, but Solomon is real. He's showing us what life is like apart from God, which ultimately points us to God because it shows us of our utter desperation without God. Jesus in the New Testament has this to say. And this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day. And he, and he speaks about Solomon. He says, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Can you imagine hearing that? This was the wisest man to ever live, King Solomon. And Jesus steps onto the scene and says, now something greater than Solomon is here. And the religious leaders would have gotten so upset because they probably would have said, who is this guy saying that he's more wise than the wisest man to ever live? But what they didn't realize is was that Solomon was gifted with wisdom. Solomon understood wisdom. But Jesus was wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is who and what God spoke. Jesus is what wisdom looks like with skin on. And if you follow Jesus, you will become wise. He's the manifestation of wisdom. And the Pharisees and Sadducees missed it. They had spent so much time with their face in the books, learning all of these facts about God and learning all these facts about wisdom that they missed wisdom when it showed up right in front of them. They knew facts, but they didn't know God. John Piper, a pastor that I admire, said this, some of you might say, wait, there are as many PhDs in theology who commit adultery as less educated people? To which I would say, probably more. Why is it that people with PhDs in theology commit adultery? He, and he says this, they don't know God. You can read theology 10 hours a day for 40 years and not know God as beautiful and all satisfying, and as the highest treasure of your life. Ward Church, may we be more than people who collect facts. May we be more than fact collectors and note takers. May we be people who know the presence of God deeply. May we be people who know who don't just know about the love of God, but people who know the love of God. It's one thing to, to understand that God is omnipresent, that he's always present, and to be able to answer that on a quiz and to check that box. But it's another thing to know that I am never, ever lonely because God is always present. And in the darkest night of my soul, in the midst of my weaknesses, when people walk out on me or walk away from me or talk about me, I am never alone. That's how we want to know God. We don't just want to know about him. We want to know him. The Pharisees knew about him. But when he showed up right in front of them, 
they didn't know him. And I just want to say this to someone here. You can know him. You can know him. Knowing God is not just for, for Bible scholars and Bible study teachers and preachers. It's for everyone. You can know him and he wants to be known by you. Sure, we get together once a week and sit under the teaching of the word of God. And maybe this is a big family meal when, when we get together and feast on the word of God. But God wants to have a one-on-one lunch date with you. He wants you to know him. And for the people that have known God for a while, who walked with him for a while, he wants you to know that there is still more of him to be known. And when we get to heaven, we won't scratch the surface. And we definitely haven't scratched the surface here. There's so much more of him to know. And why, why even invest the time getting to know him? Some people may say, well, I got so many other things to do. Why, why invest time in getting to know him? Because only Jesus can satisfy your search. All of us are on a search, and only Jesus can satisfy our search. The fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we come to that point of embracing our utter foolishness apart from God, and we stop revering ourselves and what we know and other people and what we know and start revering God and what he knows and who he is, then we experience real wisdom. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your son Jesus' name. Father God, confessing that we often seek wisdom and understanding in all the wrong places. Forgive us for exalting ourselves and being prideful and trusting in our own discernment above your wisdom and discernment. God, teach us to be wise like your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.